Hello, I'm Andrew Tuck, and you're listening to Tall Stories on Monocle 24, brought to you by the team behind The Urbanist, the show all about the cities we live in. We talk a lot about City Hall, often referring to the officials who call it home, but what impact can the building itself have on those governing from it? Well, to unpack this, Monocle's Nick Manise takes us to Siena's Palazzo Publico to look at its famed medieval murals that continue to inspire its civic leaders today. Siena, one of Italy's most beautiful cities. Set in a landscape of hills and valleys, it's home to an iconic central piazza, a famous horse race, and has been the setting of numerous films. For a long time, it was also the capital of one of the most prosperous states on the Italian peninsula. The Republic of Siena, composed of the city itself and its surrounding Tuscan territory, existed in various forms from 1125 until 1555. Its most prosperous period came at the height of the Middle Ages in the 1300s, when, after throwing off the shackles of the church and an absolute ruler, it established a council of elected officials. Well, quasi-elected, but it was the Middle Ages, so it was a pretty decent attempt at democracy. For more than 150 years, this early iteration of the contemporary city hall ruled the city. They presided over a golden age of architecture that saw the construction of the city's cathedral, shell-shaped Piazza del Campo and the iconic Mangia Tower, where you'll still find tourists lining up today. The city also experienced something of an artistic golden period in this time too. And it was the Palazzo Publico, Siena's city hall, where these two came together. In 1338, the city's elected officials, at the time known as the Council of Nine, commissioned artist Ambrosio Lorenzetti to paint frescoes on the walls of the council chambers where they met. It was to serve as a reminder of the importance of their role, and it had some pretty intense examples of what can go wrong if they didn't carry out their jobs. Spread across three walls, the fresco is composed of four murals, the allegory of good government, the effects of good government in the city and country, the allegory of bad government and the corresponding effects of bad government in the city and country. It's perhaps best explained by imagining a walk through the room. So, let's do it. Entering the rectangular space, viewers are met with the allegory of good government on the far wall, which, despite being the smallest surface, dominates the composition. And for good reason. It sets out the ideal government structure, which, conveniently, is the democratic one ruling Siena at the time of painting. We do tend to agree with the governmental setup anyway. Central to the painting is a character representing the common good, the city hall. It's an enthroned man surrounded by six crowned stately female figures, each representing the virtues of good government. They are peace, who's seen reclining on a suit of armour signifying its triumph over war, fortitude, prudence, magnanimity, temperance and justice. Justice appears again in the corner of the mural, balancing the scales held by a representation of wisdom. A character known as Concord, or Harmony, is shown weaving a tapestry carried by citizens who are bringing it to the common good. In all, it breaks down both the role and structure of an ideal government, one that is just and wise, considered and fair, who serves the interests of its people before anything else. Peeling to your right, the impact of this is shown in the mural called The Effects of Good Government in the City and the Country. A panoramic painting, it shows Siena as it would have appeared at the time, a walled city surrounded by farmland and rolling hills. Women are seen dancing to music, cobblers making shoes in their workshops, masons working on new buildings. The streets are bustling with full shops and students learning patiently at the city's famed university. Its walls are hovered over by a personification of security and the surrounding countryside's crop is plentiful too. In stark contrast to this, on the opposite wall, we're peeling to the left of the main fresco, is, you guessed it, 
the allegory of bad government. It's essentially an inversion of its sister painting. At its centre is a demon-like figure labelled tyranny. Enthroned, it's horned, fanged, cross-eyed and clearly bloated with corruption. It rests its feet on a goat, which at the time was symbolic of luxury and lust. Personifications of greed, pride and vanity fly above its head, and it's surrounded by characterisations of cruelty, treason, fraud, frenzy, divisiveness and war. As if to make its point clear, Justice, who features prominently in the adjacent painting, is bound at its feet, her scales lying broken on the ground. In all, it's a representation of selfish and cruel governments with no interest in the common good. And again, the consequences of such a city hall are shown on the final mural, with which it shares a wall. The effects of bad government in the city and the country. Again, Siena and its surrounding countryside, this time under tyrannical rule, are depicted. Death and destruction is everywhere, houses and small villages are on fire in the farmland, trees bear no fruit, and what should be cultivated is left barren. Within city walls, assassination, violence and poverty reign supreme. Buildings are falling apart and gangs assault citizens who dare to venture into its lawless streets. It's the final piece in a literal representation of what good and bad governments are and what they could do to the city itself. The messages are still startlingly relevant. At its simplest, it shows that if a city is administered well, with compassion and care, the entire population benefits. It urges city officials to act in the interests of their constituents and not those of the few or even upon their own desires. At the time, it was intended as both an inspiration to leaders and an instruction manual for how they should govern a city. And, with the city's elected officials still meeting in the building, it continues to serve as an inspiration today. Given the state of corruption in many cities across the world and the selfish agendas of plenty of elected officials at city, state and national levels, perhaps more government buildings could use something similar. At the very least, they'll get a timeless and iconic piece of artwork. You've been listening to Tall Stories, a Monocle 24 production. Our thanks to Nick Manise for today's episode. Remember to tune in on Thursday for the full 30-minute edition of The Urbanist. I'm Andrew Tuck. Goodbye, and thank you for listening, city lovers. 